You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Welcome to the Week Ahead podcast with Chuck and Rachel. Uh, we are coming back to you after a nice holiday weekend. Uh, Chuck, how was your Labor Day break? It's fantastic. Um, my uh, my birthday is uh, always around Memorial Day, and my wife's is September third, so Sunday. Always around the Labor Day weekend, so we always have this kind of kickoff to, of summer by uh, by having people over and celebrating my party. And then uh, we have us have an end of summer with my wife. So we, we went to the beach and uh, went out to eat and got some cake and lots of presents. And it's very, very, very nice. And, of course, my girls are back to school today. So um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's back to normal hours. I always call the summer like summer hours, which means – I get like randomly things done throughout the day, <laughs> work all hours of the night to try to keep up. Um, but now I actually get like a routine schedule again, which is kind of nice. Uh, did you say you went to the beach? Yeah. Like swimming? Yeah. Um, well, I did not go swimming, but my kids went swimming. Yeah. Isn't I mean, that cold? Uh, you mean the, the air or the water? The water. It's no, I mean it's it's the beginning of September, so you've had all summer of warming up the lake. The lake's like a you know all as, right, as yeah. warm as it gets right now, and you know it, it's not like Lake Superior where it's you know 100 feet deep and it's cold all the time. Um, you know the lakes around here are not shallow, but they're relatively more shallow. I mean the lake we were on was Gull Lake. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a reservoir, so. For the most part, it's eight to ten feet deep. It's like a bathtub, you know. It's, okay. it's not that it's not that cold. the The air was a little chilly for me, um, you know. But it was, you know, it was in the seventies. My kids thought it was great. Um, they they would swim if the lake was fifty degrees and the air temperature was sixty. That's you know, that's just kids. They like swimming. And Minnesotan kids. And Minnesotan kids, yeah. So now yeah. they're back at school. They are. Um, this is the year we transition out of the neighborhood school. So in the past, Stella and I would, uh, I would take Stella, my youngest one, to school. We'd bike uh, often. So this time of year, we biked almost every day. And uh, Chloe would get bussed uh, way out to the far extremes of town. Uh-huh. Out to, it's actually right across the, the street from my, uh, the family farm, the Marone homestead where I grew up. Mm. And uh, now both kids go out there. So for the next two years, they'll both go out there. After that, Chloe will be in, in, back in town again at the high school, which is like six, uh, eight blocks from my house. Oh, so she'll okay. be uh, able to get there without being driven. But uh, now they're either taking the bus or getting driven, which is kind of a drag. So today you continued our conversation about Houston and Hurricane Harvey uh, with a new article, The Real Lesson of Hurricane Harvey, which is what so many people have been asking us to do uh, on social media and via email saying, let's like, what lessons are there to draw from this? And uh, you and I and others in our membership and our staff seem to think that there are different lessons than a lot of uh, other people are 
publishing and writing about. Yeah, I read uh, I read an article by Paul Krugman today. Uh, uh, you know, why can't we get cities right? And he was going, you know, lamenting that what you know, why can't we do these simple things? And yeah, um, you know, and he he was talking about Houston, but also San Francisco. You know, why can't San Francisco get over their NIMBY problem? And why can't? And I'm 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 looking at it going. You know, you're you're like the embodiment of today's Robert Moses mentality. I mean, the idea that cities are these things we can just fine tune from the top down with a, the right, correct set of policies and, and procedures it is just, uh, it's, it is to me crazy. So here's my question for you. Mm-hmm. You uh, have, have read uh, the articles that we've posted. I think we, this is our third one now yep. on, you know, in a series on this topic. You've also seen some of the just, uh, I think the intelligent comments that were written afterward, mm-hmm. but then also some of the like hysterical, I, I'm going to call them hysterical. I, these are my words, hysterical reactions of people on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me what, tell me what this article today, I, I, I before I talk about it uh, and I'm not going to like, I'm not putting you on the spot to make you look bad. I actually am interested in knowing what your reaction to the article today is and what you like feel like the takeaways are. Well, I think it's uh, the continuation of a longer conversation um, and also was inspired by a, our Slack chat that we had on Thursday, which was supposed to be about incremental development and then became about uh, the hurricane in Houston because uh, current right. events uh, take precedent. So, and we've rescheduled that, by the way, to Thursday, this Thursday to actually talk about yeah, I'm doing a, a, a Slack chat on incremental development yeah. Thursday, so I have to get my mind in that mindset again. But yeah. so this piece um, was talking about, uh, again, something that you mentioned during that conversation a lot, which is we can't really plan for extreme events or planning for extreme events would require an incredible outlook, output of money. It would re- require totally changing the way that we build and design and where we live and who lives uh, in these places. Uh, and you just really, it's sort of impossible to predict uh, and plan for these extreme events. Um, and you also referred back to a theme that we talk about a lot, which is the idea that cities are complex systems, ecosystems. Um, they are not just like things where you can, you know, plan out, okay, if X happens and we will do Y and boom, boom, we got it figured out. Um, there are so many different factors to consider. So, uh, and then you also, you know, talked about how the strong towns approach could be applied here. And, uh, it sounds like you're going to be writing some more to expand on these ideas. So yeah, I saw this piece as kind of continuing a conversation, no definite conclusions. Um, The idea of like a healthy human body, was that analogy helpful for you? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Cause I I mean, I, I, I think when there was a there was a piece we shared last week and it it one of the quotes in there which i thought was fantastic uh was something along the lines of you know we don't design cars uh we don't put airbags in cars to help people survive you know a collision with a train mm-hmm. um and you know it, it, a lot of people took that like they 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 wanted to on on facebook facebook is such a, a fascinating place cuz you get this range of feedback and conversation that is is kind of broad and sometimes kind of crazy people started arguing whether we should design you know they they started arguing like the nuance of the train 
hitting a car. And I'm like, no, you're not grasping it. it. It's, it's the idea that like, there's a certain range of things that you're designed to, you know, these systems are designed to handle. And this is outside of that for good reason. Um, when we look at the human body, you can look at like the trauma that the human body is designed to, to handle. Um, you know, you have two kidneys, uh, you have extra lung capacity, you have extra heart capacity, you have all these like redundancies that we don't use uh, on a daily basis going about our daily lives that from a, you know, econ economist standpoint is just completely wasted. Um, this mm -hmm. is inefficiencies. Let's, let's get those inefficiencies out of the system. Um, but when we get to places where we have to run fast or, you know, we have something happen to one kidney or, you know, wh whatever it is, all of a sudden your body has these reserves that you can, you can draw on. You have extra capacity. You have redundancy. You have resiliency. There's another step then, and that's with the, uh, the, the trauma. And I, I find this fascinating because I've been through this. Um, a couple times, I think when I fell on the rocks a few years ago, and I, I'm not sure if you were working here yet or not. I don't think you were. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't think you were. I think it was a year before you started. I was, and, and I can make this sound glamorous. I can make this sound like really dad kind of stupid. I think the fair, the fair way to do it would be make it sound dad kind of stupid. Um, we were at a state park and I fell uh, about eight feet on some rocks and I wound up breaking my ribs uh, and had, a, I mean, I, it could have been really bad. Um, I'm fortunate where I landed and had I landed like a few inches a different way, it could have been, could have been mm. really nasty, but your body goes through these reactions when you have a, a, a trauma like that. Cause I, I actually, uh, cracked my elbow and, uh, broke a couple ribs and, and was just really bruised up bad. You, there was this immediate like shot of adrenaline. So I climbed up out of this thing that I had fallen down. And mm -hmm. walked uh, like a few hundred feet to the car, and I was in immense pain, but I yeah. had the uh, I had the capacity to do this, and uh, you know, got in the car. Um, I had kind of fallen in water when I reached the bottom of this gully, and uh, so I was soaked. So I changed clothes. I was in like immense amount of pain, and my wife said, "I got to take you to the hospital." I'm like, "I'm fine, you know, just let me be. I'll be okay." And pretty soon, I I passed. I like passed out, threw up. I, I mean, I had all the, uh, the reactions that the body has to, to trauma. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, now you've got a rush of adrenaline. You've got a little bit of energy and then Try yourself uh, to a safe place. Yep. Now you're in a safe place. Now we're going to shut down. We're going to expel anything from your body that might be harmful. And, uh, we're going to focus on like keeping your heart and your brain working. And I had no control over that. My body just did that. And the reason it did that is because thousands of years ago, millions of years ago, perhaps, uh, the, the species that we are evolved from, uh, a, a survival mechanism was that, you know, that whatever it was, was attacked, had this same experience. And, and those creatures were able to recover and survive where ones that didn't have that adaptation didn't. And so all of a sudden now I have this, you know. Uh, what Kahneman would call this, this system one, this automatic response. Mm -hmm. um, you know, can you hear the train going by? Yeah, it sounds nice. <laughs> it is nice. Um, you know, we had this this response that I had no control over, um, but that allowed me essentially to uh, to survive. I made the point today in the article: the healthier you are, so little children have high mortality rates because their bodies are not fully developed. 
um, elderly people have higher mortality rates because their body is in physical decline and essentially can't rebound as quickly. It is that middle age, and we can we can think of it as like you know age sixteen to thirty. I don't know what it is. I'm forty four. I feel like I'm beyond <laughs> beyond it now. Quite frankly, uh, my body doesn't recover as fast as it used to. But there's a certain like optimum level of health and strength where if you suffer a, a trauma, you're more likely to come back. You're more likely to have all those mechanisms kick in. Mm-hmm. You're more likely to have the strength to fight through it. And you're more likely to recover and have, uh, you know, as close to a, a normal rest of your life as possible. The further you get away from that optimum, the, the statistically, the less likely it is. And so my conclusion in looking at complex adaptive systems like the human body is that when you suffer and, you know, you can plan for uh, rare events – that's the extra kidney and extra lung capacity and extra heart capacity, things that you don't need on a, on a daily basis, but you might need at some point. Um, but you can't plan for extreme events. Mm-hmm. Um, all you can do for extreme events is be healthy and strong and you know, be able to essentially respond to them in the immediacy and then you know, weather that storm. And you know, I, I think our cities... I don't, I don't know how much you were involved in some of the conversations that, that we were having with Houston. Um, I know a couple of years ago they were really intense. And I, you know, I'd, I'd gone out there a couple of times and then we were looking at mm-hmm. um, working with one of their mayoral candidates, uh, wanted you know, to, to give us some analyses. And we were talking to other public officials and, and some private uh, people who wanted us to, um, to do some work down there. The, the budget in Houston is a disaster. The city's budget, mm-hmm. you know, the the pension obligations they have, the debt they have, the the sheer miles of road they have without anywhere near the tax base to sustain this. They are financially really, really fragile. And so, to me, the 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 question here is not, you know, could could if we had if the city had diverted more money and more regulation and more you know capital into stormwater management stuff, would they be better off? I think the question is, if they weren't so stretched out and financially fragile right now, would they actually have a more robust recovery? Would they actually be in a better position to, to, to recover? And you know, that, that's not a question that's easily answered. But to me, I, I feel like that's the, that's the imperative one. And that's the one that I, I think is the lesson we have to learn from these extreme events. And there will be more from you later this week on that topic, right? Yes, yes. Because, and, and let me just preview that real quickly. Yeah. I, I think one of the dangers we have in this obsession with zoning and stormwater regulation, you know, it, it, the idea that oh, if we had just if we had just had better stormwater regulation, um, you know, less impervious coverage, if our obsession with that empowers the uh, you know the american society of civil engineers rhetoric that all we need to do is put a few billion dollars more of pipe in the ground and build bigger reservoirs and build large, taller dikes and more walls and it it's it is a robert it, it's a robert moses analysis giving way to a robert moses type of 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 set of projects mm-hmm. and i i think it is the wrong thing for cities to to start down that track. And I'm going to talk a little bit about 
uh, my touring of the uh, of the, uh, the the stuff we've built post Katrina in New Orleans, mm. and just how it, bizarre it is um, in contrast to uh, you know to, to what I think the actual needs of the community are. So I want to take a minute to thank and welcome the newest members of Strong Towns who joined us last week. Bruce Ayati of Iowa City, Iowa, Jacob Borkhaus of Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, Isidore Budnick of New Orleans, Louisiana, William Coleman of Park City, Utah, Matthew Frommer of Boulder, Colorado, Lynn Hightower of Boise, Idaho, Thomas Redman of Duval, Washington, and Jonathan Tabor of Cedar Falls, Iowa. Thank you guys for being members of Strong Towns and supporting all of the work that we do. Yes, thank you so much. It's uh, deeply appreciated. So just to reiterate again, we will have a Slack chat this Thursday at 1 p.m. Central again with Chuck, um, and it'll be talking about incremental development in the many articles that have been published over the last several months on that topic, as well as the last podcasts were on that as well. Um, So please join us on Slack for that Thursday, 1 p.m. Central. Chuck, what have you been listening or reading lately? Um, I, I felt last week after I was so frustrated with, um, what I, I think I've, I can't remember the adjective I used to describe the, the feedback of people, the people who were obsessed with the stormwater and the, the zoning, I, yeah. I, I felt like I needed to go back and redo, um, Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow. Mm. Uh, I've described that book before as, you know, you, you think that you know things and you think you understand the world and then you read this book and you realize that your brain is just, you know, it, it's a chimp brain that's slightly modified and you, you really are not in as much control as, as you think. So I've been, I've been doing that one. And the, the frustrating thing about that book is that uh, I've got it on audiobook, and, you know, I was out painting the fence this weekend. The frustrating thing about that book is that you can listen for about 10 minutes and then you have to pause it and think for like 20 minutes mm. and then you can listen for another 10 and then you got to pause. So it's a really, it's, I listen to it on double speed, but it's incredibly slow going cause it's, it's so, it's so mind limit numbingly hard to process. If you, um, it, it l- let me give you a- an example. Um, there's this effect and it's called priming, um, but it has these bizarre associations. If, if you give someone uh, a, a sentence with a number in it, say a number like 75, and then you ask them uh, to describe a, a scene, they will describe a scene mm-hmm. in these two completely unrelated sentences. You know, you can say uh, the building was 75 feet tall and, uh, you know, describe, uh, you know, what this would be like. Um, they'll just use summer terms to describe it. But if you say, you know, something was uh, 30 feet um, or, you know, 30 inches, or you, you plant the number 30 in their brain and you ask them to describe the same thing, they'll describe winter types of, of things. Um, it, it's, it is so bizarre how the mind works and basically uses kind of lazy uh, associations to fill in the blanks and get us to, uh, mm. you know, get us it, it, react to things in very quick fashion. And this is, I think the, I think the amazing thing about it is that this has very little to do with intellect. This is the way we're wired as people. 
And it's, it's an eerie book because, like I said, it, it kind of demonstrates that even if you think you are a rational, thoughtful person whose you know, thoughts and actions are always based on uh, you know, careful, careful methodology and deep thought and introspection, you're just a, a slightly evolved chimp. And, you know, psychologists have proven this with experiments over and over and over. And uh, it's, it's a very humbling book and I'm, I, I love it. I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing it again. I'd recommend it for everybody. You are very into that whole like brain psychology, biology development stuff. Well, I, I think that um, what is clear is that uh, we're destined as humans to continue making the same mistakes. And I think that that is frustrating for people like me. It's obviously frustrating for people like Paul Krugman, who, uh, you know, writes in the New York Times, how he's frustrated with, you know, why can't we do this right? Yeah. And the, the, the answer is not that we're stupid. Um, the answer is that we're human. And I, I think understanding what it means to be human is to me the the great uh i, I think that's a great challenge of this century um you know uh, we talked a little bit this year about the book homo deus which very provocatively suggests that humans uh were done evolving um what what is going to happen now is we are going to become some type of proto-human whether infused with android parts or you know m our minds merged with computers or whatever um, these are like scary concepts because, yeah. uh, you know, not only are they scary on their face, but we don't even understand what a human is. You know, we don't even understand really how our brain works, how our bodies respond to things, we, you know, why we, why we do things collectively mm -hmm. that uh, we don't do individually. It, it's, we're, so, we're so strange. And I, I think, you know, the engineer in me um, got, got to a point where uh, you know, I could not explain why we did things that we did. And I found a lot of comfort in the, uh, the sociology, the psychology, the, the understanding of these, you know, these soft sciences and their attempt at explaining why mm. we're such odd creatures. Why, why would you build, why would you buy a house in a hundred year floodplain? You know? Cause you are older than one year old and you think you the hundred years isn't coming during your lifetime right right why would anyone have credit card debt um you know like to me that's a completely irrational thing but we go through and we look and you're like oh okay i understand i have had credit card debt in my life mm -hmm. and i always explained it in a certain way but in a macro sense i'm like why would you know, yeah. why would anyone else have credit card debt? Well, because they have a similar like internal explanation for why their situation is unique and, and why it doesn't meet, you know, and conform to uh, that cultural belief. There are so many contradictions uh, that that are just human contradictions um, that I, I there's a, like an endless, uh, you know, an endless reservoir of things to try to understand. And I, I think if we're serious about the future of cities and the future of our, our nation, the future of our world, um, I think it, it, it's imperative on us to start to understand some of these things. Would you have been like a neurobiologist in a previous life? No. Uh -uh. No, I'm, I'm here reluctantly. Um, I, I was asked, I, uh, Kaita Demings, I can't remember what his podcast was, uh, one I was on a couple months mm -hmm. ago. 
he had uh, at the end he had like those uh, Charlie Rose kind of questions. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you could be any color, what color would you be? Like those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and I remember one of the questions he asked was, you know, if if you were not professionally like what you are now, what would you be? And I would have I, I told him I'd I'd like to be a physicist. Ah, um, not the bus driver. At you know, or or a, or a musician or. In my days when I'm frustrated with the world, a bus driver at Disney World, yeah. <laughs> I've told you that before, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, um, I watched a compelling documentary this weekend on Netflix um, that you probably heard of because it was nominated for an Academy Award last year and things. Um, 13th, about the 13th Amendment and kind of the history of african-americans being enslaved and then uh you know how that's related to the criminal justice system today and it goes through like jim crow era all the way to you know the war on drugs and things like that um very very fascinating uh compelling film and it's pretty short maybe like an hour and a half so uh i guess you should read the new jim crow if you want like extensive data and charts and if that's like your way of processing and I know that might be yours Chuck but um, this was more like a a sweeping history with uh, a lot of interesting interviews and historical uh, facts and things so recommend it it's uh, obviously really depressing but a good good educational moment I can't ignore anymore, um, and I haven't been trying to ignore it. But like my, I've, I've been following other passions. Um, but the book, The Color of Law, came out, and uh, yeah, I started that this weekend too. Oh, did you? Because I, I have not, and I, I've just seen so many articles about it, so many people talking about it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in going through it. Um, I, I don't generally read, uh, you know. Bu- I don't think this is a book about planning and zoning um, per se. I mean, I know it involves that, but I don't read a lot of books about planning and zoning just because I find, mm-hmm. I find the topic like boring and repetitive at this point. Like I'm much more interested in understanding other things. Yeah. Um, but this is one of those that kind of brushes on the, uh, the profession that I think might be worth my time. And yeah, we should do it. Uh, if you're doing it right now, I can, uh, Maybe I will add it higher up on my list so we can actually chat about it together. Yeah, I'm about a third of the way through. And I would say um, I wouldn't see it as a book about zoning, but a book about history. Um, okay. And you like those. So, I do, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty um, – it's, it's I'm not going to say it's like an easy read, but it's like a, a quick read for me. At okay. Least, so, yeah, we'll chat Good. about it maybe next week. That'd be perfect. Well, nah, I'm not going to get to it this week. Okay, in a couple okay. weeks. <laughs> yeah, your busy travel schedule is about to start. I'll, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'll try. I've been, um, I've been doing what I can. To inc- like now that I'm, uh, the kids are at school. I, I'm like I walked to work today, instead of biked. Um, mm-hmm. And walking takes like 20 minutes. Um, you know, biking takes like five. Uh, I figured that I needed to expand my commute time because I'm not getting through as many books as I used to. Oh so, yeah. Um, I used to read books on the bus when I, like in my previous job and now I don't yeah. have that, have that sounds a little sad, but yeah, I like working from home. <laughs> <laughs> it has benefits. All right. Well, have a good week, everyone. Uh, join us for that Slack chat on Thursday. And then uh, of course we'll have another podcast for you on Thursday. Take care.
We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.